We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast.
What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man Andreas Hale. And, man, it's a, a good, good episode coming your way of boxing and MMA. We're going to be talking about the announcement of Fury Wilder 3, sort of. We're also going to touch on Loma versus Theofimo, Ryan Garcia's possible next fight. In MMA, we're going to recap a great Saturday night worth of fights and kind of try to dig into what has been the recipe for making what looks like on paper as maybe a long, boring-ish night to cards that are just full of finishes. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. We're going to touch on the Jada and Fab battle as well in a little while. But first, Dre, the other day, I got tested for the Rona. I went, got the nasal swab. Did my thing. I am Rona free. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How was Me and the, the swap? Rona free. Um, not that bad. It tickles. I sneezed. They made me do both nostrils. So I like when it came out of one, I sneezed, and then went in the other one, and I sneezed again. So you do feel it. It's not as bad as people made it out to be, though. It's not like touching your brain. I, I mean, dude, Francis and Gano said you'd rather get punched in the face. So when I heard that, I, mean, I was like, the oh. man rarely gets punched in the face. I mean, he's in a profession for that. I, I wouldn't like do this for fun, but it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I, I I don't have that many complaints about it. It took, I guess, it was 15 seconds east nostril. So it being up there for that long and them circling is the weird part. You don't know how long 15 seconds is until they're fucking counting it with something in your nose. So, out of curiosity, what made you get the test? So, in a week and a half, I'm going to visit my grandma in Puerto Rico. Ah, okay. So, I wanted to have the test. You know, I'm not running around willy-nilly anyway. I wanted to have the test and make sure I was good. Um, I might get tested again right before I go, but I don't I don't know. Like, I'm pretty much just been in the house. I've been smart. I've been quarantined for four months i just wanted proof and to have it in the app and everything as i go through the airport blah 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 take all my precautions gloves i ordered like the n95 mask um just for the airport travel portion so i can go i can have the heavy duty mask when i get there make sure everything else is good um just to keep her protected but her and my grandfather have been in puerto rico by themselves this whole time um my grandmother had like a minor surgery in Puerto Rico which is is cool so she's fine though it's actually only stuff helping her from when she fell at the wedding mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's good because like her teeth kind of messed up then so she got new brackets for her teeth so they had to put those in so that helps her a ton now she can eat like she was eating prior to the fall and so Puerto Rico opens on the 15th I was like cool I'll go see you I'm flying out on the 14th Everything will be good. Everything will kind of be open. They don't have to brave going into, um, you know, just these supermarkets and big places during the rush. I was like, yo, if you need anything, be out there for two weeks. While people are rushing to get here and there, I'll go and make sure I'm there, be safe. And I just don't want nothing stupid to happen to them, you know? I can come home, I can sanitize, I can shower and, and kind of take that burden off of them for for two weeks so yep going out there figured fuck it i'm not taking any chances with you know getting them sick and wanted to get tested unfortunately dre i know it's gonna break your heart brennan schaub apparently found out he has the rona 
So he's not as lucky as me. But I'm pretty sure he said this shit was all a conspiracy a couple weeks ago. But I, I don't know. <laughs> you know that, that meme with the dude getting in the car with the <laughs> <laughs> With the pimp suit on? That's the look, man. Look, Shab is when, you know, he talked about deaths and all that stuff and he can deal with it. Whatever, whatever. It's just, it's like, look, man, you got it too fucking bad. Um, yeah, I, it's what I've kind of been saying a lot lately. I, I don't want anybody to die, but I think some of y'all need to change. Like, this shit is real. It doesn't go away because you just want it to go away. And with the influx of all these cases now and people still acting all free and willy-nilly, like, look, yes, I get it. For the most part, the vast majority of people who have died have been old or have had respiratory issues. However, that being said, it's not necessarily just about you, it's about other people, but who the fuck wants to get sick with something that you can't necessarily cure, you just gotta ride out? That's my position. More than anything else, like, I've had, like, full transparency. My cousin's best friend died, and his father died in New York. And I've had, like, how many friends now? Three or four friends that have had this shit. And all of them told me how miserable they were when they had it. Like, absolutely was the worst sickness that they had. That alone makes me go, I don't want that shit. So I'm going to take every precaution to not get it. But then you have people saying that I ain't wearing no mask and I'm not doing... Dog, you get what you deserve. Like, if you're running around with no mask or if you're running out here in the streets all willy-nilly and you get it, like, I don't even want to know that you have it. Just suffer in silence because that's what you deserve. And somebody like Brendan Shaw was just kind of saying that was ramp, you know, people were overreacting. I don't think there's such a thing as overreacting to getting sick. Like, if I choose to stay indoors, if I choose to wear a mask, like, how difficult is this to wear a mask? You know, like, I don't get it. I don't get why people, you know what the biggest problem is? American motherfuckers feel like they have rights. I have the right <laughs> to not wear a mask. Okay. They have the right to die. They have the right to kill others, and that's the biggest thing. It's it's, but you know they talk about these rights, and I've listened to certain people talk about they have the right to not wear a mask, and it's like you don't really want to try rights in America because you really don't. Like you really, if you really look at like the Constitution and the laws of this country, you really don't. If Trump wasn't Trump, if Trump was a president who actually believed in the Rona. It'd be a different fucking story. And those mask mandates would be serious with consequences. Yeah. You're lucky that our president's a fucking idiot. That, that's the reality of the matter. So Brendan <laughs> Schaub, him getting it, it's like, you kind of, you know, you got it. So now deal with it. Now he's getting over it. I'm sure he, maybe he'll downplay it. Maybe he won't. But being sick isn't fun. I've never met anybody who got like a really bad case of the flu and was like, best flu I've ever had. No, man, it's not fun. I don't want that shit. And I don't want to downplay it either. And, and like, you know, for me, I got like my, my mother's grandmother. She's 81. Ain't no way I'm trying to get her sick with something. She just had like heart surgery. You think I'm fucking around with this? No. Yeah. So people need to chill out, man. Just wear your mask and, and, or, and stay indoors if you don't really have to go outside. It's crazy. Exactly. Just stunting for no reason. Uh, nah, I was that beat just got me thrown off. I was trying to <laughs> trying to continue thinking, but I just now think of the laugh and that guy getting in the car. Oh, oh bread is shop. No, nah, there's there's a bunch of people doing idiotic stuff. Before we jump to the topic of DJ academics, oh, and, and hip hop here, I want to say that I saw Trump. <laughs> there was a great quote like yesterday. This shit had me dying. Where he was like, you know what? Masks aren't that bad. 
He's like, I can wear a mask and I'll look like the Lone Ranger. And someone on Twitter <laughs> that posted the picture of the Lone Ranger right next to him, and he's wearing the eye mask. And I was like, yo, I don't know if Trump knows exactly what masks are being mandated. Oh, like, he thinks you're just walking out there like Zorro and shit. Or just, yo, you just got to cover the eyes and you'll be fine. Dude, okay. I was like, you look like the Lone Ranger? That shit had me dying. He's, he's an idiot. Like, he's not <laughs> adequate to run this country. Like, and we'll just leave it at that. He's just not that. I won't say he's a complete idiot because he's done something right inheriting the family fortune and fucking over his dad. Like, you have to, if you watch documentaries of read about Trump, there's a lot of dastardly things he's done. It doesn't make him a complete idiot. Like, he managed to become president, which doesn't make him a complete idiot. But he's pretty much up there. He's a fool. One thing that we don't have on this rundown that I want to talk about briefly before we talk about academics is Terry Crews. Oh, shit. So, take take it away. You, you. I will preface this in saying that you, surprisingly to me, were somewhat lenient to Terry Crews. Yeah, so I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen the tweets about Terry Crews. Um, black superiority tweets. And what did he say the other day? His new one was uh, Black Lives Better. And there's been a lot of backlash, a lot of people calling him Uncle Tom and Coon. And I think I've said this before. I think we need to stop slinging the word as freely as we are, Uncle Tom mm. and Coon. I think it's it's like the word classic where it loses meaning because you just attach it to anybody who says something that you feel is against black culture. And I don't think Terry Crews is necessarily a Coon or an Uncle Tom. I think he's misinformed. And I think he needs to learn when to shut the fuck up. So my issue with Terry is I see what he's trying to say. I think I can't remember what show it was on, but Terry Crews was talking about the idea of policing blackness by saying by by creating a standard on what black is. And if you don't fall within those four walls of blackness, then you are cast out or called an Uncle Tom or a coon. And I get this because Terry Crews is somebody who. Black, certain black people have targeted as being this big muscle bound man who like used to dance all the time and I seen people saying he was shucking and jiving and for me that was always problematic because I didn't see that out of Terry Crews back then right I saw him as a big guy who kind of defied the norm was this big muscle bound dude but that was actually pretty funny so when he got called that I kind of sided with him in that sense I was like I don't think that Uncle Tom Coon, no I don't see that does he need to dance in everything no but I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. So when Black Lives Matter came up, and this is where I'm like, this is not the time or the place for this, Terry. But he started talking about policing blackness and it creates black superiority. And he was explaining it as the concept of uh, black people telling black people what to do in order to be black and saying you're not black enough because of this or you're not black enough because of that. I agree with that to a degree. The degree is, is that, yeah, blackness shouldn't be policed right this is completely out of context with black lives matter this is in society blackness shouldn't be police because there's always going to be something that somebody does that goes against what your perception of what blackness should be and because they do that doesn't necessarily make them any less black than you are it just means you disagree the thing that terry cruz said that made a lot of sense was white people can be anything they can be liberal they can be conservative they can be maga they can be full-fledged uh, activists, they could be anything and it doesn't matter. Black people were 
pretty much painted into a corner of being liberal Democrats. We're not allowed to be conservatives. We're not allowed to have differing point of views. It has to be like a monolith. And in that sense, he's kind of right. However, here's where the issue is. Now is not the time for this, Terry. Black people are dying from police brutality. And blackness needs to be a united front. Period. For you to talk about the divisiveness in there is unnecessary. Now, he went on to say, like, uh, you know, people are mad because I got out of Flint. No, Terry. We're not mad because you made it out of Flint. A lot of people are happy. The fact that you were like Julius and everybody hates Chris, which I was talking about recently, nobody was mad at that. What we're upset with is you turning your back on Gabriel uh Gabriel Union on America's Got, uh, Got Talent mm. is you talking about this black superiority thing when it's not even necessary to bring it up in conversation. If you want to tweet something, tweet about the lives that have been lost and tweet about getting Breonna Taylor's murderers arrested. Talking about black superiority and now what you need to recognize is people like Ben Carson are saying, Terry Crews is right. When you have people like that agreeing with you, you need to pull back. <laughs> Yeah. You need to pull Walking back and back. be like, you know what? I need to save this conversation or I don't need to have it publicly. Like he was on Roland Martin's show making a fool out of himself. I don't disagree totally with his message because he's taking it very personal based on his own experiences. However, he has to recognize that some of those experiences have been brought on himself and it doesn't apply to the world. So, yeah, one day we are going to have to talk about what is black because I see people doing it all the time like that's why I said I don't like slinging around Coon and Uncle Tom to everybody it's reserved for a select group of individuals named Jason Whitlock and Candace Owens that's who is my race traders who make it their point in their life to ruin black people or use black pain for their own profit that, those are your Uncle Toms and your Coons Terry Crews is just terribly misinformed. But the problem is, is when we start doing something like that and policing black and saying, oh, he's Uncle Tom or a coon, you're pushing that man to the other side. And that's the last thing we want to do is push certain people to the other side. Now, look, some people, you can't fix them. They're just going to go to the other side. They're just going to go against black lives. They're going to try to all lives matter and everything. They're just going to go against the other side. But there's others who you need to embrace and educate because just because they're a celebrity don't mean they know a goddamn thing. And some people just really need to be educated on why black superiority is not a thing. It doesn't exist. It won't exist. There is no such thing as black privilege. It doesn't exist, Terry. You're making shit up. You don't know what you're talking about. But I get where you're coming from. Just hold your tongue. Wait until this until this eventually maybe blows over maybe have this conversation in a controlled environment where it can be nuanced and stop spewing bullshit on twitter that's why people are coming for you but you're not a hundred percent wrong i can see merit in what you're saying but you gotta chill out no i i agree with that and when you said this like in our group chat i was like okay i, I get it i didn't think at first, I was like, eh, being a little soft on Terry. But then you made your point. And I was like, I get it. My question would be then, how often can he claim the I'm not informed tag? Right? Like, how often can you just misspeak? Because so, well, that's what he tends to do. There's, there's always like a, okay, I see what you were trying to say. Or, Terry, you're coming from a good enough place. But if he continues to do that, sooner or later, there has to be some responsibility there, right? Yeah, dude, absolutely. That's why it's like 
We kind of, we even actually kind of gave him this pass on this Gabrielle Union thing because it's really blurry on the America's Got Talent how he handled it. Like we wanted him to handle it a certain way, and this is what I'm talking about. Like we wanted him to come to Gabrielle Union's aid and be like, "Yo, Simon Cowell, you fucked." Like we want him to do that, but was he obligated to do that? No, he's got to feed his family, maybe to cause friction. There's a lot of other things here. I, you know, we can't necessarily talk about it until we're there. So we gave him a little pass on that. Now this one, this situation is like, all right, well, I don't like what you're saying about black superiority. Maybe you're misinformed. But if you keep talking, this is the problem. This is why you have to sh- learn how to shut up. <laughs> if you keep talking, I can't. you can't get any more passes. Because not only are you pleading ignorance, you're embracing your ignorance. And you're unwilling to listen. And when you're unwilling to listen, you can go to the other side, dog. I ain't got time to try to fix you. It's like there's always going to be some pushback. I get it. When people attack you the first time, you're going to be defensive. That's what you naturally do. Even if you're wrong, you're going to be defensive about being wrong. And that's fair. Everybody doesn't want to be wrong. But then you get your coat pulled again, and you're like, oh, shit, again? Like I said, as soon as Ben Carson comes to your aid is when you say, man, I fucked up. Because this is the wrong person to be coming to my aid, and I can no longer plead ignorance. I need somebody to sit down and talk to. This is what I said about, like, Doja Cat and everybody else. Like, sometimes people need to be sat down and just shut up and fixed because people have made mistakes for a long time they just didn't have social media to be the megaphone to broadcast your stupid ass mistakes but now it's like with terry it's like i can't i can't give it it's not even a pass it's like i want you to be better and there should be teachable moments because if we if we uh if we if we canceled everybody in history who has said or done something wrong we would have canceled muhammad ali for adultery we'd have canceled malcolm x for pimping we would have canceled a lot of people for all those things so we have to have a nuanced conversation like all right can we fix you can we have a conversation where you can be a little bit more educated in your approach and if you just continue to do this no you can't no we can't we got to push it to the side so yes it only works for so long when enough people tell you hey man you're wrong and let's and some people like Bernice Bernice King was in his mentions like hey you're wrong and here's why you're wrong and here's how we can fix it Bernice King Martin Luther King's daughter and if Terry yeah. Crews still wants to keep going fuck him <laughs> that's that's the key it's like when not even just Terry Crews just as a whole when people have all this energy to defend why they're wrong it's like bro you can't put any of this energy into the movement to helping us to speaking up on the killers Breonna Taylor like you said like he spent so much time and energy defending himself like you obviously have this time you obviously have this platform let's you know you can't use it when you're not fucking up I don't get it that's the thing that bothers me like I but you as you said you can't tell people their level of blackness like some people are comfortable speaking up about these things. Some people are not. So, but when when you sp- then just stay silent in these times. If you're not comfortable speaking during this climate, then don't speak. But if you speak on something else during this climate, it's open season. Yeah, dude, you have to know when to shut up. They, like, dude, every every man I'm gonna use this man because I'm a man. I'm gonna speak from this perspective. Has been in a spat with a woman when they were wrong. The man was just wrong. Like, you were wrong, and you realize that you were wrong, and you keep fighting anyway. And all it does is make the relationship worse. 
for that particular period of time because you're still arguing, then eventually you got to go, you know what? I'm sorry. Because the truth <laughs> of the matter is, as men know, you can't win an argument with a woman. You nope. can, but the, you, you win the battle, but you won't win the war, right? So in terms of blackness, like, when you're wrong, yeah, yeah, we'll allow you to fight for a little bit. Go ahead, explain yourself. You're wrong, but go ahead. But if you keep going, it's just going to get worse. And then you're not going to be sleeping in the same bed. Then we're going to put you out on the couch. Then you might have to pack your bags and get the fuck out of the black house. But you can fix it by saying, you know what? My bad. I'm willing to listen. Let's move forward. Because what I said, I can see how it was taken the wrong way. Usually that's how every great relationship argument ends. Is when the man says those things. But we are so reluctant to ever say those things until it's too late. Well, sometimes an argument ends by saying, well, by a third party saying, yo, check your bitch. Oh, God. That third party is DJ Academics. <laughs> and this is what he told John Legend to tell Chrissy Teigen. I will start with this. And we'll dive into the whole situation. But I got two things to ask you because you're, you're obviously more in tune with the music side of things than I am. You still got your ears to the streets. One, is this man an actual DJ? <laughs> no. He's oh. 28 years old. I've never seen him touch oh. a turntable. Man, it's it's like the it's <laughs> the most fascinating thing. Like, dude. Oh, no, Fed. man. Next week, I'm on here. Don't call me anything except Astronaut Kel. That's it. I don't give a fuck. I ain't never been to space. I am Astronaut Kel. If we can just... Give ourselves names. Fire. That dog, I don't know. Dude. DJ that, Academics. Hey. Uh, and, but see, it's just it's hip-hop, man. You co-opt in the culture when you do stuff like this, but nobody's checked him on it. And this is how he's gotten so far. And that's like a microcosm of who Academics is. And if he did DJ once upon a time, I never heard it. So maybe there was anyone's ever heard. Somebody can tell me if they've ever seen DJ Academics spin a record. I haven't. So I'm going to say. I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Next I would thing. assume that it would only be an online program. Like, he's never physically touched vinyl. I can put a good amount of money on that. Yeah, I'm sure of that. Um, second, I guess I got three. Second, and I'm just doing some quick math because I'm not a mathematician. The man is 28 years old. I haven't seen someone wear academics clothing since velour suits were hot in 2000. So you're telling me this man got his name when he was eight years old and kept it academics this whole time. I, I, dude, that, I that's like being DJ Jabot. I don't know the origins of his name, so I'm not even going to speak on that. <laughs> I would need to know before I could really address if he got his name from a defunct clothing company. But I think he spells it the same. Where else do you get it? That's know. like saying, yo, I'm DJ Fubu, but I'm not connected to the clothes. I mean, you should know better, but, you know, just, need to just maybe eight-year-old academics, I guess, was, was rocking uh, academics velour suits. Third, how did he become this person within the hip-hop industry with this platform to, now we're, now we're thinking, Jay, uh, Jay-Z, um, Joe Budden has been off of everyday struggle for what, three years, four years? Him and academics were on there together, you know, Migos, uh, rolled up their blouses and was about to throw hands with Joe. That was like four years ago at the BET Awards. I just saw this on this day uh, when the BET Awards happened last week. So 
That's four, so the show was five. You're telling me he had this show at 22, 23 years old? Yeah. And then, as someone pointed out to you, Dre, you guys both started out as bloggers. Man, don't, don't do this. <laughs> don't do so, this. I mean, he has a writing career before he's 22. So when did he get his start, and how the fuck did he skyrocket like this? Look, first and foremost, <laughs> yeah, somebody... This, this is kind of why I hate Twitter. Because people come into your consciousness without you knowing who they are. And because of what they're currently doing doesn't mean they weren't doing anything before. And in my case, like I had somebody tell me this a couple, a few years ago. Somebody was like, hey, man, you're coming up in this world. And I was like, excuse me? And not in the way like I was saying that I'm already come up. But he was like, yo, I just seen that you I did something. And it was like it was so trivial. And he was like, you're coming up in this world. And I was like, yo, man. I used to work at B. I was a senior editor at BET. I was the editor chief of Hip Hop DX. What the whatever little thing he was saying, and I was like, that ain't it. But you don't know me, so I, I'm gonna give you a pass. And just like this dude was like, you and academics came up blogging. No, 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 sir. I have not. I have been a journalist. I have been an editor for fifteen mm, shit seventeen years now. Seventeen years I have held an editor position at Hip Hop Site, Hip Hop DX. I was at AOL. I was at a company called the BVS. Champions. BET. Uh, now I'm over here at the Zone and Sporting News. I have been an editor. I've never been a blogger. And people don't know what editors do, by the way. No, a lot of people don't. And that's the crazy thing. Is like People don't know what people do. And that's how you get people like academics. Because you know the next thing is, there is no disrespect to bloggers. Because a lot of people started out blogging because they use blogs as like entrepreneurship to create lanes for themselves now some have been really good at starting a blog and taking it to another level and parlaying that into other jobs while other people use blog as basically the national inquirer of hip-hop or whatever culture that you're talking about and i have no respect for those people who cannot complete a sentence and we're not the same like there, there is no same thing here i am not a blogger. I never have been a blogger. Never will be a blogger. That's no disrespect to bloggers. That's just putting some respect on my name. But to say that me and academics came from the same place, it's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Absolutely not. I now, said you guys are cut from the same cloth. <laughs> it's crazy because it's like, yo, man. Look, academics has made a living doing whatever the fuck it is he does which in a reality landscape is the society that we live in today where a lot of things are based on reality tv where people don't know what anybody does like loving hip-hop how many of those people actually rap how many people will you actually buy music from no but yeah, a lot no, of them make more money than actual rappers which is crazy and we don't know what they do and i there's quite this has been a few people on loving hip-hop that i actually know and i'm like yeah nope so what does academics do right this is a multifaceted question with so many different answers because the real question is who's to blame for DJ academics and I blame complex but the deeper issue is this is what I've said before this is what happens when non-black people put black people into positions of power and give them opportunities because if you don't respect the culture and this is not where I'm not saying all white people don't respect the culture that's not what I'm saying I'm saying you have these these publications that don't have black people, and I'm not saying Complex doesn't have any. But if we've seen in the past couple of weeks, there are a lot of horror stories of what how they've treated black people in particular 
black women at Complex. But now you have these people who ain't never been in the hood in their life, who don't really know anything about the culture except from an observer standpoint. Like It's like a fishbowl to them. And they write about our culture from a fishbowl. Like I used to get always upset when, um, oh my God, what's her name? Uh, uh, Vanessa Satin was editor-in-chief of Double XL. Somebody's gonna. I know somebody's gonna message her about this shit. But <laughs> Vanessa Satin was. I was on a conference call with her once upon a time. Now, if y'all don't know, Vanessa Satin is like this white girl, and she was editor in chief of Double XL. That wasn't the problem. The problem was is that she was infatuated with like gang culture and like gangster rap. Like she was just super infatuated with it. And I was like, this is so weird, cause you ain't from this shit. So for you to be, it, it, it becomes exploitive, is what ends up happening. Like, you end up exploiting the culture because you're not really in it. It's one thing to in, embed yourself into the culture and want to be a uh, historian or a, or document the culture. It's another thing to, like, glorify the negative aspects of it. So when you look at a place like Complex, who I don't, based on that list that you just put out, they're not trying to be a respectable voice of the culture. They're trying to be a controversial one for clicks. And when they brought academics there with Joe Budden and Dedesca to do Everyday Struggle, and everybody dissed academics, somehow there was a certain group of people that felt like, I feel sorry for academics. I like him. <laughs> Even when Vic Mensa said what he said, or when Erica Badu said he looked like uh, uh, Jerry from Tom and Jerry, Tom the and Jerry. mouse. Like, That's spot on, too. <laughs> like, Vic Mensa was going to slap him up. Nip Nipsey Hussle called him a culture vulture, but unfortunately in this day and age, the culture vulture tends to win more often than not. Hopefully, when Black Lives Matter, as we push forward with these new diversity initiatives, people will recognize that there's so many culture vultures that we got to get rid of, that we could put an end to this shit, but as it stands right now, academics is a byproduct of this. Not 100% his fault, a lot of it is, but somebody had to put him there to succeed. And now he's out there talking shit to Freddie Gibbs. And now he's out there telling people, I, I make this much money. Yo, dog, you should have never made that much money. It's disrespectful for the cats that really grind in this culture. And here you are, disrespecting Freddie Gibbs and calling John Legend's wife, Chrissy Teigen, a bitch. Are you serious right now? The culture should not put up with this shit. But it's been co-opted by people like academics and people like Takashi 69 <laughs> Hey, let's, let's stop at academics. No, right no, we will not oh. stop at academics. Because academics has <laughs> no. joined to Takashi at the hip. He is, they are. Dude, they are. when Takashi was in, in, incarcerated... Nobody was talking about academics. As soon as Takashi got out, Takashi went to who? Academics. And yeah. both of them blew the fuck back up. So anybody, and this goes for you too, Kel, whenever you hit play on some Takashi shit, <laughs> you are giving this man a license to ill. And, 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 and academics is a byproduct of that bullshit. I'm finding other ratchet shit to listen to instead of Takashi. You'll please, be proud of me. Please do. Yeah, I'm trying. You know, somebody else got to come along. I just don't like this other shit. I tried to listen to Roddy Rich last night. It just, it wasn't for me. It's because of the performance at the BET Awards, which is fine and dandy. And I like the baby. So I was like, okay, I'll give him a shot. It's not for me. I don't need a bunch of people sounding like Young Thug. There's 18 million of these motherfuckers who sound like Young Thug now. I didn't like Young Thug when he sounded like Young Thug. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but with academics, it's just amazing to see that someone can blow up off of being a cornball. And you, you again, you are more fair than I am. You're like, no disrespect to blogger. Listen, if you got a blog and you own the blog, shout out to you. You own a company. I'm not talking about you. But other people, like, I, 
I've never called myself a blogger a day in my life. People be like, yo, but you write for, you wrote for BSO, or when I was writing for BSO, they're like, oh, you wrote for BSO, you write for BSO, you're a blogger. No, 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 I'm a journalist. I write for a website. If you want to call that website a blog, I then write for a blog. I am not a blogger. I did not start on message boards. I do not just not care about my craft and just wanted to get my voice across, and this is my only medium. No, I've always had multiple mediums. No, I went and interned at a radio station in Kansas City. Turned that into a job. I interned for SNY as a journalist. Found a platform I could write at and cared about spelling errors, you know, context, uh, alignment, all this stuff that you go through as a journalist in articles. I cared to get better. Then I got a bigger platform. I got editors. Shout out to you. And other editors I've been privy to working with Jason and um, Noir who's a great editor you uh, when I developed a sense of like yo this is what editors do I can't imagine writing without an editor now and people don't understand that and like the contributions editor have um, shout out to Andrew Feldman at ESPN now who's my editor but it's just it's nuts and I was like no I've never been a blogger so whoever takes offense to that Fuck it. You should be better. Be better. Want better. Growth. Well, I mean... Don't call yourself a blogger. Like, no, bloggers are fucking whack. No, they're not. You can't be a talking head. You can't say that. Bloggers aren't whack. No, blogs are okay. Just be better. Be an owner. Be a writer. But bloggers aren't whack. Like, the thing is, is like, blogs were... Like, initially, blogs were created by journalists who were out of work. Which is great, but the, but they were bloggers. They were, and in, but in, they were journalists. But in fairness, they created blogs, or a lot of people created blogs because they couldn't find a way in and were actually good writers. They just didn't get the opportunity. Hence, I'm here. But again, it's there's nothing wrong with a being journalist. a blogger. But there's nothing wrong with being. I, I a hate blogger. that term. I that to me that's an incendiary term. It's just like being a rapper. You can own a blog, you can write on a blog. No, no, no. It's it's just like being a rapper. Everybody's a rapper, right? Oh, but if someone called me a SoundCloud rapper and I was a real fucking rapper, but, we're fighting. But that you there is a modifier on that term, right? But ultimately at the end of the day it's rapper, right? Everybody's a rapper. Some rappers are better than others. But everybody's a rapper. There's nothing wrong with being a rapper. You have to be able to d- differentiate the bullshit from what's great because Nas is a rapper, Jay Z's a rapper, and then I the guy like on the corner is about journalist. But there are journalists. And then you who break apart. And then the the qualifier is then you're a journalist at a blog. But you're no. a rapper that posts shit on SoundCloud. No, like no, you don't have to be a SoundClouder. It's not the same thing. There's nothing wrong with being a blogger. There isn't. There are a lot of people who have launched blogs and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is is when the field gets saturated because the truth How many about, bloggers you know still around? I know a lot. Who got that jobs. just said that that are just bloggers. Well I mean like, to this day. But here that, but, that, that but here's their the golden point. attribution was to be a blogger. But here's That's the all point. They here's the point. Blog like they are bloggers, and they parlayed that into something else, but they were bloggers. And people that were bloggers, there's nothing wrong with being a blogger. There's, there's just nothing wrong. The problem is, is when the market gets saturated with bloggers, because the question is, what did academics blog? What? I don't know. There's, that's the issue. 
The issue is when you can't figure out what somebody is and then you call him something so it fits. That's the issue. I'm not going to say someone else's name, but we both know that we know a person who is at a lot of events and covers a lot of sporting events and we can't find an article to save our lives yeah, no. from this person. But that but does that make him a blogger? I don't know what he is. I but can't that, find the content. Therein, That's why I don't know what academics is. But therein lies my point. There's nothing wrong. Like I I'm saying I'm not a blogger because I never was. If I started a blog and it might like uh Nicole Bitchy, for instance. Nicole Bitchy started a blog and now she's doing like health and fitness. But Nicole Bitchy's blog was huge. And Nicole oh, Bitchy, super big. Is and, that not around? No, I think it's still like there, like Karen Civil. Now, yeah. granted, a lot of people Karen's have like par- parlayed their shit. blogs into something else. Or they ended up managing their blogs into something else. But Amazing. they'll be the first to tell you, yeah, I was a blogger. This is what I started out as, blogger. Like, there have been bloggers who ended up getting jobs in journalism to hone their craft because there were no journalistic opportunities for them. It's not the same with academics because nobody can figure out what he does. Now, he's called a blogger, but that shouldn't make you want to... Maybe that's a trigger word for me, then. Yes, it's a trigger word. Maybe that's my 2020. But I still, I'm never going to call myself a blogger. Fuck that. But still, you know what? I released that for everyone else. I understand. It's no longer... A bad term in my vocabulary if people are bloggers you, you mentioned a lot of people in that sentence that i respect i considered them something different but i saw the end result yeah. you know what if you start as a blogger and you grow cool that's what it is it's i just, will let that go you, you, you got to it's just with academics it, the question becomes like well what has he done that's ever carried merit in this culture and all he's done is more harm than good for a lot of people and somebody was like he's put people on it's like word it's like all right well i don't he was 23. He's Yo. 28 years old. Who are you putting on at 20? It, and it happens, but the point you, is, is you like, had dude. a great side at 28, right? Like, yeah, yeah. But the point well, is, first you put people on at 28, but I that's tangible. Who is he put on, I, dude? I guess these young ra- like again, he's ushering in bullshit, and he's he's become <laughs> like my thing has always been, always is a journalist should never be in front of the story, should always be behind it. Like, you shouldn't you be in front of the going. camera. You should be behind it. Unless it's absolutely yeah. necessary to put yourself in that story. To pr- You're still like it. that to this day. I am. I can't help myself. But I think that's what journalists have always been. Journalists, I'm, my job is to tell your story, not fucking mine. And it, at, at some point, early on with academics, it was about him and never about the story. And that has always been my problem with academics. The blogger thing, I don't care about. Because when people said that, I was, like, I had to say I wasn't a blogger because that's not what I ever did. But... Blogs initially were streams of conscious on a platform. They weren't even interviews or anything like that. It was just my thoughts here. It was like a live journal. That's what a blog originally was. Me, I didn't really do that. I've provided commentary, but I was a journalist who told the story first, and it was never about me. Academics has always been about him, and that's it. His videos with Takashi are about him and getting his brand, not about Takashi. He's using Takashi like, just like Takashi is using him. That's my problem with academics. The blogger thing, I don't give a shit about because there's a lot of bloggers doing great shit out there. But the problem with academics is it's about him. And now, because somebody said, hey, I like this thing that's about him, a, a publication that was supposed to be about journalism complex has brought him on and created a monster. We've seen this happen all the time with men and women. Like, like you talk about like relationships. 
where the gold digger becomes a monster because a man puts her on when she didn't know shit or she didn't do anything. Or same thing with a woman who's at a high esteem level and finds this bummy ass dude and the dude starts feeling himself, forget who the fuck he is. It's like, yo, I'm such and such. It's like, dog, you weren't anything before. (laughs) That's what academics is. That's my problem with that guy. It's going to be a long fall. I tell you that much. Because when you, you have this opinion of yourself that you're this amazing, this great, everyone hits a slide. When you're 25, 26, you, you don't ever think a fall is coming. It's how you handle that. Like, you, complex isn't going to be your last job ever. You're making that next job very difficult to obtain. If he wants it. I mean, the problem, again, the issue is he's, I don't know how much money he's making. They talk about he lives in his parents' basement, or he, like, took, I saw some video somebody <laughs> sent me where he's, like, had a backyard. I don't know, but the worst people make a lot of money, right? It's what you do with your money. And something tells me that somebody like him isn't necessarily doing the right thing with his money. And, yeah, are, is he making it hard? Or for they him? could be lowballing him. Could be. With I don't how know. the climate is now, like... He may just think it's cool to hang around rappers. Like I don't. He, he might be undercut. Yeah, I don't know. I took a lot of shitty deals at twenty eight. But but the thing is, is like I don't know. But while you could say it's making it harder, there's somebody like there's another publication full of culture vultures that are going to hire him. That's like when people were so excited about Jason Whitlock being out at Fox. I was like, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. I don't know what you're excited for. He had he's going to have another platform. He talked about direct to consumer. You should be very concerned because now he doesn't even have a filter. Once he gets that platform, I guarantee you somebody's going to give him money to have that platform. Hey, like like Bleacher Report, dude, releasing a a podcast, dude. It's titled "Nigger with a Hard ER." Yeah, it's what I'm. Somebody's going to pay you to do this shit because controversy sells, and that's like the crux of all this. Controversy sells, but somebody's going to pay Whitlock to do Whitlock things on a macro level. That hour that you saw him on Speak for Yourself. Is going to be a lot bigger. So don't get too excited when he disappears. So like with academics, you think if he leaves Complex that somebody's not going to see that and be like, we can make money off of this shit. Because the man has over a million followers on Twitter. That boggles my mind. Yo, young kids follow a weird thing. You 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 grasp a demographic, you can hold on to that shit. And he's got it. He's got it. Nobody's educating this demographic and why he's harmful. But he's got it. He's got it. I can't take He's that away He's their filter. From He's like, imagine growing up. And for me, I guess this more in my age bracket. He might be your peer. But, like, you look at, like, an Elliot Wilson when I was in high school. And Elliot was still, what, double XL, Making the transition to his own platforms, right? But he was like... He started the YN stuff, blah, blah, blah. So Elliot Wilson was that guy, but he was so in tune with the culture where it's like, okay, you can follow his feeds and know what Elliot Wilson's doing and you're good. And if other people lived in New York, it was Funkmaster Flex and he started the website and all this shit. You know, I can't stand Flex. But they had like this influence, but they were still so much a part of the culture. Imagine for kids today, academics is that for them. Probably, yeah, probably. That's horrible. That's a horrible way to go. Like, academics is your Elliot Wilson? He's your Funkmaster Flex? Yeah. I mean... He's your Angie Martinez? Elliot Wilson's, like, he's not even my peer. He's older. He's an OG to me. Like, when I got in the game, I was reading Elliot Wilson and Kim Osario and, you know... Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they, were all there. they were all that. And it's, Elliot was there from a while, right? Elliot's like, always been there. 91? Like, Elliot's, Elliot, Elliot's been... I mean, dude... 
uh, ego trip. Ellie's been around for a long, and it's it's funny because, barring my own personal views on Ellie, because I've met him, neither here nor there. The thing is, what he's contributed to this culture can't be denied. With Double XL, yeah. like Elliot, to be honest with you, Elliot was like the original blogger in hip hop, because his letters in, it was in, just in print. <laughs> yeah, it was him talking shit in Double XL was the original hip hop blog. Yeah. It was the original document. And then Rap Radar spawned in. Yeah, I mean, Rap Radar was a byproduct of him looking at the la- landscape of hip-hop blogs with two dope boys and not right, and him wanting to occupy that space with B-Dot. And that's what they did. They created Rap Radar. It's always funny, though. This is not totally disrespect to Elliot. But when things are successful, you watch how quickly they get co-opted, and you find out like there's always going to be something bigger that wants to finance the next big thing and crush all the little blogs and that's what they try to do with rap radar not like not Elliot and B-Dot but the people who financed it it was the yeah. same thing with uh taking the music away from the hip hop blogs and creating SoundCloud that took all the leverage away from the hip hop blogs iTunes the streaming service it basically compromised all the hip hop blogs cuz you went to the blogs to hit play on what they had on the website iTunes took away that element. SoundCloud did too. Yeah. So it's like now SoundCloud is a rap. Yeah, it's my kids get all their music from TikTok. Yeah, it's it's crazy, dude. My niece watches TikTok and it's like there's never a song That's that it. plays in full. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yep. It's like the scatterbrain but, like outpouring of like twelve songs in a minute. It's crazy. Yep. And then if I turn on the radio, they're like, oh, this is a TikTok song. Oh, this is a TikTok song. This is uh, in my house bored. That song, it's a Tiger song. Yeah. Yo, I'm in my house, but like that shit is so stupid. TikTok song. Like, if your song, Megan Thee Stallion, every one of her songs end up on TikTok with a dance. Yeah, every one. It's a so smart I think she's irrelevant now. You thought, you said this a while ago. Nope, she's still completely relevant because all her songs are on TikTok. It, it's it's a like, marketing crazy. Boy. So all this to say is like, yeah, academics could be the early Wilson. And that's why I feel like that's we need scary. to be responsible <laughs> As the the few as the the uh, well was considered the past to a lot of people to usher in the future because we can't have an academics I can't have academics being like my daughter's like go to we have to create and foster an environment for the counter to academics somebody who knows hip hop and and respects the culture and occupies the space it's not about him to be just as big so you have something else to strive for because once you put too much bullshit because I don't want my daughter to want to be a reality TV star but as long as they keep making the most money. How can you tell somebody not to do that? Yeah, I need Justin Ivy on Complex. I'm pushing for it. They'd never Shout hire Justin. Chat. They would not. <laughs> I love Justin. Justin knows this. They would never hire Justin. You want to know why? Because Justin doesn't listen to a bunch of controversial mumble rap crap, and he wouldn't put Little Uzi Vert as his favorite album of the year. They would never hire Justin. <laughs> he actually respects the culture. And I'm not saying every bad complex disrespects the culture, but there are a lot of people out there that, that you know, it's like, mm, you don't really give a shit about this. Or, you are you know, you do it from a perspective that I'm not really in it. I just enjoy yeah. this because it entertains me. And hip-hop was never built to entertain complex. me. Like, hip-hop... Well, Pitchfork as well, though. Like, I heard a lot of these sites are just... Dude. I don't know the inner workings of the back end of these things, but you look at sports, like, let's pick MMA, right? Because we're, we're in that. A lot of the better sites, like, there's these journalists that you're like, okay, like, you respect, like, if Ariel's out of sight, Raymondi was out of sight, like, you, you look at these guys, um, you know, John is out of sight, you're like, okay, the, these bigger sites who pop up actually employ people who are 
pretty still ground roots in MMA. Boxing still has Iolis, the Dan's, the uh, ESPN, we saw Steve Kim. People have seen some shit. Um, you know, Mark Kriegel is with us at ESPN. There's still grassroots in hip-hop. I don't know who those people are. Those prominent voices at the prominent sites, like even occasionally someone else will break in. Coppinger isn't a bells and whistles guy. Coppinger's old school, like boots to the street. Why doesn't hip hop place the same premium in journalism? Because hip hop is a culture and it's not treated as such. It was born to be a fad initially by. Sports isn't a culture? No, not, or it's like not fighting the same. is not a culture. It's not the same. Like fighting is a culture, like it's a, it's a job where you go and you fight and you go home, right? Like hip hop is something that we live and breathe. Like hip hop is what educated me about Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey as a kid. I like I looked to hip hop for those things. It was more than the music. Yeah. You know, there was so much more, but when it was called a fad by a certain group of people and they thought it would go away, then they figured out how they can capitalize off of it. And then they figured out how to use the black and brown people of the culture and, you know, project the ignorance and, and withhold the conscious rap. That's when it became a character of itself. So it's it, as a culture it's completely different. So now it's just a money maker and you don't have to respect the culture. Like what I'm saying right now, I guarantee you they're going to be people that disagree with it because they don't believe in the hip hop purist bullshit. Or when I speak this, they'll call me like a backpacker. They'll call me some kind of derogatory term because I care about this culture. It happens all the time. But other people see it as a way to cash out. Takashi 69 mastered that. He don't give a shit about this culture, but he's making so much money off of it. And other people Crazy who money. don't give a shit about the culture either. It's entertainment now. Anything that goes mainstream is now just entertainment. But for people like me, it was never entertainment. It was edutainment. And it was bigger than that. I can be entertained by what I watch and what I listen to, but that was never what it was here for. But now you got this new generation, they will they will never know the five elements of hip-hop. They'll never know what turntablism is. They've never seen a b-boy. They don't even know what the difference between graffiti and tagging is. Mm-hmm. And we're not here, and that's the problem, if we're not here educating them on this, the, the, all these elements are going to be lost. And nobody will care about them ever again. And people like a- academics will thrive and survive. So, in summary, because I know we got to really talk about combat sports, fuck <laughs> DJ Academics. I will never be like DJ Academics. And for all of you listening who agree with me, do your best to foster an environment where we can make sure that there are people counter to DJ Academics and they exist and put forth other acts other than Takashi 69 where there are dope MCs and dope women and dope everything in hip-hop because we have to have balance. We can't have that bullshit. Fuck him. Fuck his apology. He got suspended. He's still going to get paid. I'm not asking you to cancel him. Create the alternative. No, I, I completely agree. Um, man, it's crazy. 50 minutes in. We're not even done with our hip-hop talk. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to touch on the Jada versus Fab battle and get right into combat sports to wrap everything up. Talk a little bit of boxing and the MMA card. No UFC this weekend, even though Invicta's coming back. But we'll recap the UFC from last weekend. So you guys stay tuned. Come back. Still talking more hip-hop, more combat sports.
All right, we'll get back to the show in a second, but first, there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. So looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. What up, everybody? We are back from the break. And like I told you before the break, a little bit more hip-hop before we dive into the combat sports. It's always nice to have a hip-hop-heavy show because if we have four corners... Yeah, you get that? It makes sense, right? If we have four corners to this show, there's MMA, pro wrestling, boxing, and hip-hop is our fourth corner. We don't get to talk about it enough, so it is great to have a show predominantly hip-hop heavy. Dre, I'm shy. I will start on this. You said it clear as day last week. Fab has no chance against Jada. I said, come on, man. Fab can hang. There was other people saying Fab was going to win outright. I was like, yo, give him credit. He can hang. I maybe got four songs deep into this battle. I was like, it's over. Curtains. Fab might have gotten washed worse than anyone else, including Teddy Riley. Mm, 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 mm. I mean, Nelly got washed pretty bad, too. Nelly Nelly got maybe six rounds. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Fab got six. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Fab, dude, Fab got washed. And it was actually worse than I thought it was going to be. Because, like, yo, I like I said it last week. Jada had joints. I said, Jada's got joints. Like, joints. Like, if he starts just playing, like, he played blackout. Like, I was, he let off with that. At that point, when Fab started countering, I was like, oh, it's over. He has nothing. He was countering with, like, the worst songs he could have possibly counted with. But then I thought about it, and I was like, hey, man, how many... Because f- when we talked about Fabulous, we didn't really talk about what songs Fabulous has outside of Breathe. Like, his big records. He has big records. Like, he didn't play enough from the first album early enough. Like, right? Give me a song. So, give me a song title. Um, I Can't Deny It. Yes, he uh, could have played Holla Back. Holla Back, Young. Ooh, ooh. Is that Young and shit? Uh... He has something else from that first album. But but that he did play. This is my point. And then that, all the rest of the joints are like the Jagged Edge song with a girl, three little Mo tracks. He didn't play uh what is that, Superwoman? Yeah. Uh Lil Mo. he didn't play Yeah, like he didn't play a lot of that shit. He played one Neo joint. And that, but a lot of Fab's catalog is girl music, and Jada immediately shamed him out of it because I think Fab went in thinking, yo, when I play my hits, Jada's going to try to play his hits. And Jada, every time Fab threw out, like, a girl-type hit, laughed at him for having to pull that out and went more gutter. He went more street. Dude. Like, and people, like you said, it was all about the crowd listening. It didn't even matter. Like, if you, people went into it not knowing Jada's real grimy-ass hits and was just like, 
Ooh, like that shit is crazy. Cause the Rough Riders catalog is deep. He played World War Three, and I lost my shit. He didn't even play the Bubba Sparks song. No, he didn't, cause he didn't. Have that, like the catalog was that deep, but it was the fact that Fab didn't have really anything in the catalog to counter with that was his. Like that was the problem. And I said it depended on the crowd, cause if like Fab really wanted to play like a bunch of girl songs, yeah, he could probably beat Jada that way. But what I didn't know was they were gonna be in the same room. And the moment like Jada would look over at him, I was like, ha! I was like, oh, it's over. Cause he, cause Fab one, Fab has no personality whatsoever, zero, zero, <laughs> yeah. no personality. So with Jada like just kind of riding on him and laughing at him and being Jada, like the drunk Jada meme is like the greatest thing this week. But there was no chance because Fab, he was gonna be shamed into anything that he did that wasn't hard, and he just didn't. Ha- he don't have those records. He don't. Not to compete with Jada, he just doesn't. And he got beat. Yeah. Up. He got dog. He got beat up. That was a. T- oh, and he was so tight that Jada was just happy and drunk, and f- cutting Fab off from telling stories. Yeah, he's like, it's not important. Like, dude, the man flexed and said, "I wrote this one," and then played Puffy's verse from Victory. What? That's unfair. Like it was <laughs> such a flex. Like he didn't play. He played Diddy's verse. From victory, like he said, I wrote the what, what? Which one was it? Where he said I wrote this while I was on the toilet with my shirt off. The man was not playing, like at all. It was just too easy. But in fact, shout out to Shake and Two Dope Boys though. Compile a list of shit he didn't play. Money, power, respect. Why? Twenty four hours to live. Reservoir Dogs. John Blaze. Wild out and put your hands up. Didn't play any of None those. Of, none of them. Not one. And dog walked fabulous. Like, it wasn't fair. And it, it didn't play the Mariah joint, which I listened to the other day. It, it, the best part is, like, this is, I don't necessarily want all my battles to be one-way traffic, but I felt like this, like, Jada treated this like a battle. Like, Jada went in and was like, yo, I'm just trying to wipe you off of the face of the planet. I like that. <laughs> and talk shit while doing it. Yeah. It's crazy. But, you know, Fab learned his lesson. Should have made harder records. <laughs> well, he didn't. <laughs> Should have made harder records. Should have. He didn't. Or, but you know, whatever. <laughs> nah, yeah, it's too late for that. Or you know what? Just don't get conned into just playing street for street records. You can't do it. And th- this is where this is when I talk about that short term versus long term vision. Like when you like Fabulous was a dope rapper, but the problem was is that Fabulous went to the lane that made him the most money, which was those girl records. But people don't respect girl records 10 years, 15 years later. They look at them like, that was a jam, but eh. Like, cool. But then Jada, who was never as big as Fab was at Fab's height, Jada was always respected and consistent. And he's still here making dope shit. So when he does a battle against Fabulous, and Fabulous pulls out those, because those records basically have an expiration date. Like, you play them, you're like, ah, yeah, it sounds kind of dated. But then Jada plays something, you're like, man, that was a banger. May not have sold like a million records, may not have been a number one hit, but there's no way. It's, it's undeniable how dope them joints was. I felt like Fabulous, like, he didn't make enough of those records because he felt like he had to make the Little Mo records to make him money. He had more breathe in him, which is always going to be one of my favorite Fabulous songs, but he never yep. put that shit out. He never did that shit. He should have went more to the... The mixtape fab. Dude, there was nothing he could really do in this battle. The way Jada was treating him, it's just nothing he could do. 
he was talked out of his game like Connor versus Eddie Alvarez. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. It was like, yo, I got to go in there. I got to wrestle. I got to bully him. Completely forgets it as soon as he gets in the octagon. That was fab. Damn shame. And uh, I want to get Jada drunk this summer. 2021. Not this summer because the Rona's still real. 2021. WrestleMania weekend. Lord willing, we find a way to have mass gatherings. The Rona is kind of in the rear view. We're getting Jada kids drunk. Between like three different shows that I'm sure we'll have. Because now like you're the it guy. So that helps. <laughs> I forgot what it was on Facebook the other day. I was like, yo, I got to gotta be as cool as my co-host. Oh, yeah. They surprised me, man. The uh, levels, they added, named me as one of the, uh, the 50 people to follow on Twitter with under 50,000 followers. Which was like a surprise. Because I was like, oh, wow. People are actually paying attention. And yeah, yeah. I do have under 50. You were first on the list. Yeah, it was alphabetical order. Like people don't look into that oh. so much. It was alphabetical order. But, you know, my name is first, it comes up cool. So, like, before you start scrolling, you get to my name, and you go, oh, okay, I know who he is. That was dope. So, yeah, but, man, I still got a long-ass way to go. Shit. I'm just saying, I'm trying to get on your level, man. I just, I don't know. I got I to gotta hit up the mouse. Be like, yo, I know I'm with ESPN now, I'm with Disney now. Like, y'all just can't let Andreas embarrass me. It just, out, you know, outrun me and shit in these streets. <laughs> I'm going to need a show. I'm going to need something. I need something to keep keep up with the old man, but uh, no. So that's that was hip hop this week, and and congrats on that, by the way. Thank if you. I didn't say it on the Facebook post, Appreciate congrats it. on that. Um, let's talk about combat sports, and to touch on again boxing, it's happening. Yes, top rank is on ESPN several days a week. Um, yeah, I'm good on that for right now. <laughs> you know, that's I do that all day. It's nothing to talk about there. Um, but shout out to them. Thanks for cutting the checks. Uh, one thing in the boxing world that's going on, though, is people are planning events for fans is, is what we're thinking. And people are saying, how do they get some type of fans back into venues? And they're looking at September, October, November, December. And one of the dates that have come out was Fury Wilder 3. Bob Arum told ESPN December 19th is the target date for that. And he's reserved Allegiant Stadium. We've seen this before. Mayweather used to do this shit all the time, right? Pacquiao used to do it all the time. Where you've reserved like four venues. Just in case. So it's not like four or five months out that this is unheard of. But it's interesting that Allegiant Stadium... Being in Vegas, do you think that this is going to be the next it place to house fights? Um, major fights, probably. Like, but I, but I think it's the scale of a of a football stadium is huge. So you have to have a fight that can dictate that kind of an audience coming out. Even if you lower the I mean, price, Errol Spence has done it before. Yeah, Canelo's done it. Before. Yeah, but it's like they don't routinely do fights at AT and T, right? And even with yeah. Canelo, those tickets were dumb cheap. And same with like the Spencer, like they were ridiculously cheap. So you can do that. Um, I just don't think it's going to be the go-to. Will still be more. I mean, it's like my feeling on WrestleMania in stadiums versus WrestleMania like smaller arenas. Like pay-per-view should never be in every every major pay-per-view should be in a stadium because a small, more intimate crowd is a rowdier crowd, it's a funner crowd, it's a louder crowd. But I think yeah. big fights can be done in a stadium. So Wilder Fury, eh, I could do it. Connor fighting in a stadium, I can see that. But I can't see, like, this UFC card coming up 
being in a stadium. I, I'll be like, that's completely pointless. Because you're going to run the risk of not filling it up, and if it's not filled up, the optics are always bad. Yeah, I mean, AEW, when they did the um, stadium stampede, that wasn't bad. Yeah, they had their people the, in the crowd. It was empty arena. pre taped though. It was, it, it was empty. Like, we all knew it was Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about this current climate. Yeah, like, like, if you did it, like, yo, we just want to have some fans, and we're putting people one every ten seats. Yeah, I don't see. I don't know. Like boxing is so much different than pro wrestling. And yes, it was pre-recorded, mm. so I wouldn't. Nah, like I don't want it to be like the norm. Uh, and yeah, even if it's that's the cheat code to get some fans in there. The cheat code, what they're looking for for Lomachenko and Teofimo, is to possibly do something like that. You know, to do uh, a Legion Stadium and put fans one every six seats. That's expensive, though. It's not like a Legion Stadium is cheap. That's like the no, that's like no. the next issue. It's like, well, what is your site fee? Like, what are you paying? And that's like what's so complicated. So while we're talking about this, in which we're going to talk about this Lomachenko fight as well, it's it's hard. Boxing is in a really tough spot right now. And I don't think people truly get a grasp on it. Like, the UFC is, for better or worse, and I would actually say for better, the UFC and the way that they've paid fighters has allowed them to put them in a position to stack these cards with as many fights as they can. And then, you know, nobody's really complaining about money like that because it's not like astronomical purses that they can't afford. Boxing, on the other hand, is much more difficult because if you have uh, Wilder Fury and you have two guys com- commanding probably 20 million plus like that's the only major fight that's going to be on the card but if you have no live gate that makes it troublesome because where are you going to make it make it up in economics are you you just going to lose the money and throw it in the toilet so but that's wilder fury which is considered a major fight which ended up doing under a million pay-per-views but then you shift to teofimo versus lomachenko shouldn't be a pay-per-view fight but it's gonna be not gonna have a live audience it's like, can you even guarantee like casual boxing fans watch that fight? How do you justify the purses for that fight? I, I think casuals will. I don't. But yeah, I I don't. Because casuals don't know who Lomachenko is. Not a clue. Oh, I don't. <sighs> they don't. Casuals? Ca- well, I'm talking about casuals. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about boxing fans who watch fight cards mostly every weekend, or who like the hardcores watch like Showbox New Generation, right? The hardcores yeah. watch every card that's on top rank that's on right now. Yep, Tuesday and Thursday. The yep. the more stringent boxing fan watches HBO cards, show when HBO is having cards, Showtime cards, but they don't really watch boxing after dark. They don't really watch these top rank cards, but they watch like the major names fight. But then you have yep. casuals who only show up for like big fight party type of events. They ain't watching Vasily Lomachenko and they're damn sure not paying for it. Yeah, that's a tough sell. I mean, you gotta. If you're going to go that route, you have to use the machine. Like they gotta be on every ESPN show possible. Shit, y'all tried that. I mean, <laughs> shit. That, that's the only reason that works. I, I know. Halfway, you know. Like, I mean, they were on the Super Bowl. Fox and ESPN had to put all their might behind it, and now Top Rank only has ESPN. But you gotta. You have to push it crazy. Like they have to be on first take. They have to be on all of these things. Um, but then again, Terrence Crawford has had pay-per-views. Yeah, and they fucking bricked. Yeah, I mean, some Triple G ones did too. No, like, but I'm just, the point sometimes is... Sometimes you just got to brick out. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. The challenge is, is, like, you're doing this in empty stadiums now. 
It's not like you're doing this where you at least have a live gate to absorb the cost. So fighters aren't going to want to take, A, a pay cut, and B, it's like, well, how do I justify you paying you all this money? Because I ain't going to have no fans to make up for this gate. Or I'm not going to, like, doing them at a casino, right? Because when you do them at a casino, you know, the, the casino buys out tickets to comp their uh, their players. There is yep. them. That's why, like, if anybody listens to, like, the uh, um, the Pritchard and uh, Con- Conrad podcast, they talked about why WrestleMania was at Caesars Palace. Because Caesars did a big buyout on tickets. Which is also why when you look in the crowd at Caesars, you look at a bunch of people who are like sitting on their hands because they had never been to pro wrestling before. But if you if when you don't have that because you don't have a live gate and you don't have anybody buying tickets, how do you justify paying their their fee? And then how can and then with that, how do you how do you stack the card? Because who really wants to pay for a one fight card? Yeah, that's tough. tough. You gotta stack the card. You ha- but how? If you don't have any money to stack it, how? I mean, I don't know. You're paying people to fight on Tuesdays for $30,000. Yeah, but that's not a stat card. You see the ratings these fights are pulling in. They're not good. No, but if if you pull the main events from these four cards, you got a pretty decent undercard. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody's paying for Pedraza to fight. Nobody. No, not Pedraza. But you look at Jamel Herring, who's coming up. If you have him fight a legit champion at 130. I forgot who you see was supposed to fight before this. Uh, Frampton? I forgot who he's supposed to fight. Dude, I'm, just, I'm saying it's incredibly difficult. I mean, the, the, the climate, like, it felt like boxing was in a great swing. Like, boxing was doing well. But this pandemic hit. It's, it's really throwing a monkey wrench in everything. I mean, you look at Canelo's situation, right? How do you justify paying Canelo $35 million right now to have him fight in an empty arena? You can't. Yes, yeah, No, that's why he's sitting at home. Like... They're trying to figure it out, but you can't. Fight date tentatively September 12th. Yeah, but you can't because like, the whole situation is, well, you can't fight Golovkin because you can't do that fight in front of no fans. It's impossible. No. You can't justify the cost of that fight. And the other issue is if you wanted to fight a champion, a champion ain't going to take no pay cut. Billy J- Joe Saunders just withdrew his name, like, formally. Yep. He was like, I ain't fighting him because I'm not taking a pay cut. It, and Oscar De La Hoya is basically like, well, you should pay, t- take a pay cut. But it's like, if Canelo's not, why should I? This is the hurdle that boxing has right now that the UFC does not really have to deal with. Because Gilbert Burns yeah. ain't making that much money to fight Kamaru Usman. Nah. So it's like, I, duh, I don't know. And their hardcore audience pretty much buys their pay-per-views yeah, but with zero fluctuation. It, it's hard. Like, the UFC, what they've always done a really good job at, as much as I talk about Dana White, is those fights can be really exciting. There can like you put a guy like Sean O'Malley open up the car. Boxing doesn't have that. For a long time, boxing was very much top heavy. That people only yeah. walked in for the main event. And if your main event doesn't have that appeal, no matter how much you stack it, because if you're not building stars on underneath, it's re- like you said, Jamal, Jamal Herring. Who knows who he is? He's the champ, but nobody knows who he is. And this is not an indictment on ESPN, but this is just the reality of it is. ESPN is not fully invested in boxing or MMA like they are their other sports. So when you have talking heads talking about boxing and MMA, oftentimes they're not as informed. So it's hard to have like a Jamal Herring on Pardon the Interruption because do they know who he is? And, and how can yeah. you have a conversation that feels natural? So how do you push a big fight without having... Fortunately, there's a guy like Max Kellerman who can really carry that conversation. Stephen A. Smith... Still, kind of knows more than a majority of the personalities at ESPN. 
it's it's hard it's hard to sell a guy like Lomachenko who doesn't speak English very well who may be the best fighter in the world but nobody knows who he is and now you got to put him on pay-per-view yeah, Theofimo would have to carry the buildup. And nobody, and, Theofimo's dad. Really. And really nobody <laughs> knows who he is. In terms, like, this is Theofimo's first pay-per-view. It's the same thing yeah. with Tank versus Leo Santa Cruz. That's not a pay-per-view fight. I don't know. Tank, I don't know where Tank got this crazy following from. But it ain't a paying following. There's such a big difference. Hmm. I guess they'd have to do a pay-per-view and test it out. That's what they're doing. They're going to they're gonna test um, out the star power, which is fair because you say, all right, cool, at least we have the live gate to absorb the cost. Yeah, but now I don't his have live that. gate. He packed them out for the live gate. Yeah, there. You want to talk about someone taking a hit? I don't even think those were comps. They were. I mean, there were some comps, but dude, people not like crazy though. Like but people paid to see Tank fight. So it's like if the, yeah. if the pay per view bombs, right? At least they can say, well, we made some money at the gate. He's a draw. But if you have, if you can't do a, a heat check by seeing how many tickets you're selling, you really don't know how many pay per views you're gonna sell. So like Wilder Fury three. Yeah, is it? It's big, but Fury just watched Wilder, so I don't know if it's, it can't be as big as the, the second fight was. So it's like, well, how do I justify paying these guys twenty million plus? And I have. But no then fans. you look at these YouTube boxers who are actually who drew money for you guys. Uh, but a subscription. The zone is subscription based, so that's completely different. Yeah, ten dollars to watch that shit, sure. Seventy dollars to watch Teofimo and Loma, that's more difficult. It's a little tougher. You know, and even even with <laughs> the zone, like even like, this, this is not saying that the zone is innocent. Like the zone hasn't had any fights in almost three months. So how that has to hurt. you know it's like well, how, well, what's keeping subscribers if there's no fights? It's it's hard. It's hard for boxing right now. Even, I think I'm still paying for that shit. By the way, yeah, I forgot to pause my subscription. I mean, that's always the hope with any subscription based service that you forget, and then you're just <laughs> in. But the thing is, tell your bosses you got. Me. Yeah, it's like uh, you know Eddie Hearn just announced a slate of fights, right? For for Matchroom yep. for the UK scene, and he announced a slate of fights for the states. And uh, well, yeah, Golden Boy, yeah, they announced a bunch of fights. And are you going to his backyard? Fuck no, no, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> There's nowhere I'm going until things are somewhat normal. I have no interest in going anywhere. I may may go to a fight in Vegas, maybe, but I'm not traveling. Not until some of this stuff is cleared up. But the thing is, like, Eddie Hearn wanted to match up Katie Taylor with Amanda Serrano, which is a big women's fight. And the issue is, is that as big as a women's fight it is, it ain't really drawing people like that. But, I mean, it ain't drawing pay-per-views or subscriptions like that. But Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano in the UK would be a big gate for them. And now they don't have it. And now Serrano is upset because she's like, yo, they keep postponing this fight. And then there was suggestion of me taking a pay cut. I'm not taking a pay cut because she wasn't making that much to begin with. It's like a catch-22. Nobody, nobody's wrong. Everybody is right. This is really hard. It's going to be really hard for everybody. Somebody's going to have to take a chance. And maybe that's what Top Rank does. They roll the dice and see how well it does. And again, as much as we give the UFC shit, they've actually kind of done this right. Their viewership is like double what these Top Rank cards are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and people are like, oh, Eddie Hearn once was like, uh, I think it was last week, he was like, these are uh, a detriment to our sport, these top-ranked cards and their numbers. Like, I don't think ESPN's asking much of them. Like, for a Tuesday and Thursday night, I don't think that's a crazy competitive time slot. It's, it's again, this is, there's, there's, neither side is wrong. Here's why. 
Um, it's good because there's boxing, though, right? But then it's like, then you watch them, and you're like, Ugh. these are like either terribly gross mismatches, or their cards with like no highlight moments. And in a in a, a culture that is like yearning for like something you could put on Instagram or Twitter, there's not a lot of it on these cards. So yeah, it's great boxes back, and the, you know the hardcores we're watching, but. This is nothing that's going to make the, the sport feel any bigger. This is nothing that's going to make more people watch boxing. Because these cards have not been good. That's just what it is. They just haven't. Aside from Shakur Stevenson, everybody want to see Shakur fight. These cards are like, eh, they're all right. And yeah. they're, not producing, I mean, like, a lot they're of... not producing highlight moments, unfortunately, because that's left up to the fighters. There's nothing top rank could do about that. If there's a highlight yeah. reel knockout, that shit goes viral. And there just hasn't been any. And that's not top rank's fault. It's not. I guess it's the fighters' fault. I don't know. I guess, Matchmaking. I, mean, I don't that, know. That kind of leads us into the UFC and talking about their past card. Um, you know, we just had Apex UFC Apex like four or something, um, headlined by Poirier and Hooker. Ooh, but what a fight. You, oh, incredible fight! But you look at that, and a lot of people are crediting the UFC going to the smaller cage to foster some more action and knockouts obviously boxing it's so regulated it's you know so historical that you just can't fluctuate a cage or a ring you know like the shit just doesn't work like that in boxing but you see that okay the lack of time training and the accessibility for training isn't the same in mma than it is in per se like boxing a lot of these people there's not crazy knockouts and all this stuff because they don't have the time to train or prepare. You don't get to break down your opponents for three weeks. People are taking fights this week and then fighting again in two weeks. Yeah, I don't give much credence on these to that. undercards. That, that's not. That's not it. They don't have their gyms open to train. Like they're not training the same. They're not doing it. Yeah. I, I think Top Rank has tried to, in the main events, tell fighters, "Yo, go up a weight class. Don't cut as much weight." And that hasn't helped. I don't know what you can do in boxing. I mean, that MMA seems to have found a solution. We're going to the small cage. You guys can't run. You're thumping, and we got a ton of action. Yeah, see, I don't know because boxing. You know, a lot of the guys that are on these top rank shows. A lot of them are, you know, eight and two, seven. They're used to fighting like eight or nine times a year at least. So they're used to quick turnarounds. So I, I don't give any credence to that whatsoever. I think the match, the matchmaking, it's not that it's been bad. It's actually been kind of competitive, and now you're not just getting a lot of knockouts. That's, that's just it. Guys aren't knocking each other out. I mean, you look at some of these guys' records. They're, you, they're, I've seen, like, 17 and 5, or like, three knockouts. So I haven't seen, like, there's not, like, big punchers on these cards. We, they haven't produced, like, great highlight moments, and that's just how the chips are falling. There's, there was a time where the UFC, at one point, there was, like, five shows where it was, like, a majority decisions and it was miserable watching those shows and you thought there were going to be knockouts but it just wasn't so yeah. is the smaller cage helping yeah but it's also like some of the some of the matchmaking and and the fighters have come through like Poirier and hooker didn't knock each other out but fuck F- fight of the year contender i don't know how hooker didn't get knocked out Dog, i don't know how dustin didn't get stopped in the second round in the, late in the second round i thought he was going out but that's just a slug. Fest. Like we've had, I mean, that entire card. That's the other thing that UFC does very well, and their fans are comfortable with this. The card didn't have a ton of name recognition, but Fools was getting stopped and submitted left and right. 
All night. So when all night. So like I always say, ain't nothing wrong with a squash match, dog. You gotta have a few of them. It puts people over. You gotta squash a few people. So I don't know if Top Rank is purposefully trying to keep these things competitive, or if they're trying to create fights that could produce a knockout. That just shit just ain't happening. It's it's just it's. I, bad, I would bad I would guess it's the form or the latter, because there's a couple of these where I'm like, yo, I'm ready. You know, we have packages built up. I'm running this the day before. Like, yo, look at this guy's power. He has these highlight knockouts, or he's on this winning streak with this many knockouts, and then nothing. And I'm just like, fuck. Like, I, I'm not selling wolf tickets. You know, like, these guys have power. They have knockouts. And there's not, like, they're being matched overly difficult. And they're still just in grueling boxing matches. I don't get it. There's the guy who came from MMA and went over. He's beat, like, three prospects this year. Yeah, I forgot his name. He almost won uh, our mid-year award for fighter of the year. Yeah, Yeah. Clay. I'm like, no one, no one thinks of this shit. So I don't know. It's just it's something so different. Um, Let's wrap this up by talking about MMA though. And like you said, a ton of finishes. Kay Hansen gets a submission in the prelims in the third round, followed by uh, Tanner Bosser KO. Then we had Violent Bob Ross getting submitted by Worthy in the prelims Dude, main event. Uh, real quick, comma Worthy, I've never, I, I can't recall a time I've seen a fighter just muscle his way through everything. Like Pena was trying to submit him, he just muscled it. It wasn't even like crazy technique. He was just strong no. as fuck, and it was just like the entire fight when he finished him with that guillotine, was, he was just super strong. That was Pena walked into that guillotine. Yeah. But I mean, it, w- it's all bad. it was good technique. But I'm just saying, like the man, had, he was just strong as hell. The entire fight, I've never seen the dude just kind of power through everything. So I'm very intrigued with Common Worthy moving forward. Yeah, I thought Pena was winning on the cards though. It was a good fight. Luis Pena walked into yeah, one. Yeah, he just walked into one, and Common Worthy, a guy who could be a problem. Yeah, it looks like he should be a lot bigger than he is though. Yeah, he looks big as hell like for he- a lightweight. Yeah. Yeah, big as a boy. And he's like 33. Right. It's not like he's young. He's an OG. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Just look big as hell in there. Again, could be the small cage. And then we get to the main card. We get a submission by Julian Arosa against Sean Woodson. Sean was only, I mean, 7-1 and one gets submitted. Yeah. That shit's crazy. Then you have Takashi Sato, Jason Witt, knockout. And then finally, finally, Brendan Allen gives us a decision. In a great fight. Amazing fight. So you look at this, and it's just like, shit. Like, even the decision was really good. And then we get to Maurice Green. Oh, God. Beating Volante by submission, which I did not think Maurice Green was going to win. Dude. But that shit was wildly emotional, and wow. That was probably the moment of the That's not the story of the fight. Story of the fight is Jim Vellante going from 205 to 255. It looked like he ate every pound of his way up there. Yeah. <laughs> he was like 255. Man, no, he was two, He was literally he, 255 pounds. He got pounds. the crazy belly. Yo, the man, like, look, I don't care what Wikipedia or anybody says. It's submission by arm triangle choke, right? He was winning. The, the man way. lost by sleep apnea because he couldn't fucking He was hurt. winning that fight. He, he lost because of exhaustion. He just kind of laid on Maurice Green and Maurice Green... Choked his no, the out. belly restricted his breathing. He was, <gasps> he's like, I can't breathe. I gotta get out of here. Like, dude, there was no healthy way for him to make 255. Like, there was not an ounce of muscle on him. 
That was crazy. I don't think he has to try to make two fifty five. Did you? If he, I'm saying I'm sure he cut weight to two hundred five. Like cut right? down to two. But if you're gonna be oh. at a heavyweight with some of these monsters, specifically Francis and Ganu, you gotta look at your body and say, eh, this probably ain't it. I ain't probably gonna get far with this because it's not like he was clubbing people at light heavyweight and he's moving up to heavyweight. His body, he didn't have a, a good body transformation. No, not <laughs> not at all. Like it's not like the DC dad bod. It was just all belly. He looks like my uncles in Puerto Rico. I say this all the time. But somehow their limbs stay relatively thin and normal looking. But their trunk, they just get this crazy ass trunk. But then they just wear like their, you know, their little Guayavera shirts with the top two buttons open and a little tiny gold necklace. And you'd be like, okay, you look mad Spanish. Vlante went away and got the Spanish belly. Which is cool. That's like, if you're not fighting, it's cool. Like, if you're at home chilling, there's nothing wrong with this. But you're fighting. <laughs> like, you're fighting. Look like a look like a fighter, not like Daniel Cormier, because Daniel Cormier is conditioned. Like, Gian Vellante, not only did he look like that, he just was terribly conditioned in this fight. There is, like, yeah. an issue. It's not just the He outlanded him by a ton, too, though. Like, he, the skills were there. But you're right. The gas tank was... No, if, if he would have just fought a heavyweight at like 235, probably would have won. Oh, he probably stopped. He didn't need to be 255 goddamn pounds. Man, a man was 50 pounds heavier. Crazy. Yeah. So, <laughs> Volante's belly. That is the true highlight of that one. Um, I lied. I said uh, Maurice Green winning was kind of like a surprise moment of the night. That is false. Mike Perry being cornered by his girlfriend. And going to a decision victory over Mickey Gall was one one of the wildest I've, things I've seen in MMA. Two, I can't believe this motherfucker won just because it's Mike Perry. And then he drops a video the next day and saying that like he's Spanish, or I think he might be. He's Mexican. He's like, I'm Mexican. And drops the N-word again. He don't give a fuck. And he's going to keep winning. And this means he gets another bigger fight. I don't... You know what? Fuck Mickey Gall at this point, man. We believed in you, Mickey. I mean, I wanted him to. You fucked it up. He, he was, dude, it was like they were in two different weight classes. Like, Perry looked huge compared to Gall. Like, as much as I'm going to say about uh, Mike Perry from here until infinity, the fact of the matter is, is that he didn't need a corner to be Mickey Gall because he was just stronger than him. Like, he, like, I have to give him credit. You won the fight with your girlfriend in the corner. If anybody else would have done that, we would be applauding them. I just don't like Mike Perry, so it's hard for me to applaud him. But he won. He won. Pretty handily. He won. Yep. Now, he can't do... All she did was give him ice. Yeah. No. That's it. No adjustments. Just you're ice. You're doing good, baby. And he'd be like, you look good, baby. And I was like, really? <laughs> and the broadcast didn't show the corner stuff, but I had the broadcast from work, and then you were watching it. Somewhere where you can see the yeah, corner. Yeah, I watch on Fight Pass because I'm part of the rankings committee. Oh, I watch Fight it on Pass. Fight Pass. So when I'm on Fight Pass, I get all the audio from the corners. So I was listening to the audio. Yeah. And I was like, are you for real? And he won. He can't do this against a top-tier welterweight at all. But, uh, you know. Seems like he's going to find a camp now. It, it, yeah. I mean, you know, he wouldn't be in my camp, but yeah, it is what it is. No. But, man, he won. That's what's crazy. He lives to fight another day. And then the main event, Poirier Hooker, which we touched on. Good Lord. It's going to be hard to beat this out for fight of the year. Uh, look. Wait, is Joanna? Yes, Joanna and Zhang fought this year. 
Oh shit, yo, these past three months <laughs> see, seem like three years. Right. So excuse me that I got that wrong. I don't think this top that it's close. It's close. Can we have co? Can we have co fights of the year? I don't know. Like I'm gonna have to go back and watch Zhang and uh, Joanna again. But I first of all, she I'm, had the fucking hematonas on her yeah. head. Still kicking ass. Like, one, I was there and watched that shit. And that was one of the most amazing fights I've ever seen in my life in person. And two, with Hooker and Poirier, the fifth round was a little slow. Zhang and Joanna never stopped. They just beat no. the shit out of each other for five rounds. And yeah, that hematoma, it was a story in itself. <laughs> Not and It's crazy because as great as Hooker and Poirier was, like, dude, any other year, probably fight of the year. But Zhang and Joanna, and then, you know, you got to be honest, it was a women's fight that did this. Like, the savagery out of those two women, can't for, you can't be forgotten. Can't be yeah. forgotten. Can't, we can't take that out because we usually don't see that kind of vicious savagery going both ways for five rounds in a championship fight. Today, Chael Sonnen called the second round of Poirier Hooker the best round he's seen since the second round of uh, Hagler Hearns. No. In all of no, sports. no, no, hell no. No, I was like, he does not watch enough boxing. No, he does. I was like, I was like you're discounting so like, come on. What was it Gotti Ward? Yes. I don't know what round. All that of was. them. Ten. Nine. All of them. Just all of them. Yeah, like just all. Of like there's some rounds in there. Pacquiao had a round. With Marquez, where I think they both knocked each other yes. down. Pacquiao might have got two knockdowns, and Marquez got one dude. in the same round. Like, no. There's, dude, no. even in MMA, I mean, there's been, like, exceptional fights. Like, Yair Rodriguez and Chang Sung Jung. And that finished. That that final round was nuts. Like, there, there's, I hate when people do this. Because it's like, one, you're comparing it to, like, one of the greatest rounds in boxing that said nothing since then. Are you crazy? Yeah. We've had a ton yeah, of fights. wild. But even in MMA, like, it's not as good as Rory versus Robbie, um, Robbie round. Any of them. Round three? That, the fight, dude. No, round four, where Robbie just sprays fucking blood everywhere through the busted lip. And you knew round five was going to be hell. If round four it might be the greatest round I've ever seen in MMA. It's, it's live. Definitely live. I yeah, was there. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe that. I, yeah. What, you know, it. Hooker Fourier, I know we have a lot of recency bias. Oh, yes, it was. It's absolutely a front runner with Zhang and Yuan. It's going to be hard to beat either of those fights for fight of the year. But like greatest fight of all time? No, I think a lot of us were in the moment. But dude, just round, round of yeah, all. Second round. I mean, it was round. great. It, I mean, it was unbelievable. Like I was yelling at my TV, like, "Oh shit!" I was doing that, and that's when I know I'm in it. I was like, "Oh shit!" But come on, man. Since Hagler Hearns, cut it out. That's a lot. Great fight though. That's a unbelievable talk. fight. Yeah, like. That is, that was what hell of a stretch. But no, and now Poirier wins. And now the question is, where does he go? I think it's pretty clear cut, in my opinion. But where do you think he should Connor. go next? Oh, I would like to see Connor knocks him out if he fights. I don't know. I, I don't know. It'll last longer. I think Connor knocks I him out. I don't know. In a second. Here's why. When Connor fought Poirier the first time, Poirier was not as formidable at 45 as he is at 55. True. Poirier also underestimated Connor. Let's be honest. That's hard to no, do. No, no, all that no. No, no, no. Back then, Connor wasn't Connor. He was just becoming Connor. Like the power wasn't real to a lot of people yet. Now, 
once you've seen Connor, it's different. Do you think Poirier's going to make that same mistake fighting Connor? Absolutely not. No. But I still remember, it's three years ago now, which is fucking nuts. But the no contest between Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, that's only because Eddie Alvarez need him when Poirier was already out. Yeah, but... Like, I, 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 Eddie Alvarez won that fight. I mean, I'm not using MMA. He just threw a stupid illegal... I'm not league. using MMA math because Dustin Poirier also no, beat Justin Gaethje. No, he did. I'm not using MMA math. I'm just saying, like, Poirier can still be touched. He can still be knocked out at 155. I'm just drawing that comparison because he was at 155. Yeah, he just took all that punishment from Dan Hooker at 55. All that punishment. The, my problem with Connor is I don't know who he I don't is. Think Hooker's has Connor's one hit power. Like well, that. here's the thing: Connor's a front runner. Yeah, after you get past the first Ooh. two rounds, not the same. Again, Connor could knock out Nate Diaz. I, I have yeah, to. You say take that. him. That's one seven. Doesn't matter. I'm just saying. No one's knocked out Nate Diaz. Yes, yeah, like that's Thompson, like a crazy Josh thing. Thompson knocked him out with a knee, yes. and I think that was contest. Like. Nate Diaz came too and was no, pissed no, no. that he, that was he stopped. Was, he was out, but no, he was out. But I'm saying he was pissed. Yeah, but the point that that fight was stopped. Is, he thought he could continue. The point is, is that if Connor, if if you don't walk into one, like th- this is not saying Connor can't catch you, but if you can, if you can endure a round or two of Connor, you're, you're in pretty good shape. Fam, you better endure two, because uh, what was Connor's title fight? Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, yeah Eddie Alvarez. He couldn't last two. No, but and he got styled yeah, on. That, but again, Eddie Alvarez was completely talked out of his game. Connor is. Can we be honest? Connor's not that Connor anymore. I don't know. The mystique of Connor it does not exist anymore. His losses, mystique. Yeah, mystique is gone. Talent wise, his losses are Floyd Mayweather in boxing, which he beats everyone, and. Habib, who's the worst stylistic matchup, and we said on this show since our first episode that he was going to beat Connor. Yeah. No one beats Habib, and Connor lost to him. And then, and by the way, Connor's the only man ever to take a round from him. Yeah, and then Nate Diaz. Oh, and Nate and getting choked yeah. out. But he came back, and guess what? He learned how to throw a fucking leg. Yeah, kick. and he barely got out of that fight. He was gas. No, that's that's erroneous. Cause yeah, okay, but. I, I think he won the fourth round, by the way. And then, yeah, lost the fifth. But if it's the current ruling and judging, he has a 10-8 round in the first and a 10-9 in the second. Yeah, you got to prove that. Or no, or 10-8, 10-7 and 10-8. Yeah, 10-8. nobody's going by that shit. Come on, let's be honest. We see MMA judges. Those two knockdowns? Do you think judges really look at that shit? Yeah, he knocked him down three times in the first two rounds. Think One of those have to be a 10-8, you, yes. You think a judge would have definitely gave a 10-8? Are you sure about that? Yep, in the Are first round. Are you sure two about knockdowns? that? I'm almost I don't trust. I don't Wait, trust any. is Adelaide Bird one of the well, refs? Or judges? What I'm saying is that there, <laughs> like, there's no rule that says, like boxing, that it's a 10-8 round. There's no rule. So as long as there's no rule. No, you have to show. It can still yeah. be a 10-9 round. But the point is, is that the mystique of Conor McGregor no longer exists. Poirier is formidable at 55. Connor, I, 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 he's not as active as he was. Connor not no, being as active, I don't, I don't know who Connor is anymore. Not saying he can't knock him out, I just don't know. And I can't use a cowboy running roughshod over a, a battle worn cowboy as anything. I can't. I don't. This that bothers me. One, and this, you know, Dan Hooker again is a different beast. But one out of seven takedowns he landed in this fight, and that led to four submission attempts. Cool, but didn't finish Hooker. If you can't get Connor to the ground and keep him down with wrestling, 
and you constantly have to stand up, I don't like your chances. No, Nate Diaz still with him. Nate Diaz was a tank at one I'm just saying, his jaw is crazy. Is Nate Diaz a, no, but this is, is cool. Nate Diaz a top ten that's everything? Fair. No, that's fair though. I get it's, you. It's that. a tough that's fight. Fair. I'm I, saying I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know who Connor is. I, I'll keep saying I don't know who okay. Connor is anymore. I need him to do. I think that's a very favorable matchup for Connor. I don't think. I don't back. think very favorable. I think given every other option, it's a 50-50 fight. That's the best. It's a 50-50 fight. But that's. That's his best option because I don't like him against Gaethje. I don't like him against Habib. I'm not sure about him versus Tony because Tony's a true cardio machine. Um, I think he that'll wrap your ass up a lot on the ground. So I think Poirier's his best. See, match my up. problem with Ferguson is I think Ferguson will never be the same. That's fair. And I also think that brings me to my my thing is I it took Connor out of the equation. I don't even know if Connor's fighting. I'm just taking him for his word. He's retired. Maybe until he gets an immediate title shot, right? Like I I'm not sure if he comes back to be a contender anymore. And I think Dana is crazy enough that he'll give him an immediate you know, title shot, whether it's at 170 or 155, wherever the fuck he wants when he decides to unretire. But I would say Poirier-Ferguson is the match to make. Yeah, no, I don't know when Ferguson's ever coming back. That face was destroyed. I'm, I'm, I'm more so with Poirier and Conor because they have a, a history. And Poirier's always a guy I've been really high on. And he's finally, I think... Ferguson's going to fight again. Yeah, he's going to fight again, but who knows when? Like, Poirier and Connor, something you can make a look probably sooner than Poirier Ferguson. Tony's a weird guy. I don't, I don't know, man. And, and, Tony's and a weird fucking again, guy. Again, like, with, when you say, like, Poirier's the best fight for Connor, I think Ferguson is. Ferguson gets hit a lot. He gets hit a lot. He's very open getting punched in the face. That's true. It, 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 that's, that's true. And he doesn't. It's not like I mean, he can do anything really from a striking standpoint to get Conor off. Poirier gets hit a lot. No, he does, but Poirier <laughs> can strike. Tony Ferguson is not a great striker. Poirier, Tony, uh, he's weird. Tony, who, who is Tony Ferguson knocked out? No, but he, the ground trickiness is what's yeah, scary. Yeah, but you you got to get hit on the yeah, way. Yeah, there. yeah, hit the yeah, you hit the mat. He's wrapping your ass up like no, a pretzel. I, I agree, but I said this. From the beginning about Tony Ferguson. And also when I broke down why he was going to lose to Gaethje, I was like every big win he's had is off of somebody coming off a loss or is compromised. Keith Lee, I mean Kevin Lee with the uh, staff affection. But everybody that Tony Ferguson beat was coming off a loss. So when he got ran over by Justin Gaethje, which was a steamroller, he's got great heart. But he gets hit a lot. Lando Venata put him on skates. Lando Venata is not even ranked. So Connor gets his hands on Ferguson. Again, I don't know which version of Connor this is. I'm just saying the fact of the matter is Ferguson doesn't have enough to give back to keep Connor off of him. If Connor chooses to engage in stuff to take down attempt. Poirier, I believe, can hurt Connor McGregor. He threw volume, yes. I'll give you that. Yes. If it goes past three, then yeah, it's a whole different they, ball, they're, they're, ball they're all intriguing fights. They're all like they're, I, I oh, think definitely. they're all fifty. I don't think there's a. F- I just think they fight each other because I don't know if Connor comes back for those yeah, fights. I don't know either. I you know. Don't, I don't know either. I think he'd rest on his laurels of winning that one fight and saying I want a rematch with Habib if it goes that way, or I want Gaethje if he wins immediately, try to get the title. But if Gaethje wins, how do you not give Habib an immediate rematch? It depends on how he wins. UFC's weird, man. If Gaethje will like to just destroy, like not one punch knockout. I'm talking about one way traffic, Habib. It's kind of hard to give him an immediate rematch. If he knocks him stiff? When? 
If it's like one punch, look, dude, kind of knocked out. Say, if kind of knocked out Jose Aldo and Jose didn't get an immediate rematch, as dominated he's as he was. You can't yeah. trust the UFC to do it. And with Connor waiting in the wings, yeah. fuck a rematch for anyone if Connor steps up and says, I want it. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a business at the end of the day. They're going to go, hey, what fight's going to yep. make us the most money? Oh, yeah. Jose Aldo's getting a title shot here in a couple yeah, weeks. on the third fight on the card, which he shouldn't be in anyway. I'm just letting you know, like, they don't give a fuck. Dude, rankings mean nothing. They just sound good, and they sound, and, and really, there's something for the fighters to complain about. It's like, I'm ranked number this. Why am I? They don't care. Yep. <laughs> like, they don't care. Aljo didn't get a title shot. That's it. Aldo I'm did. just happy for Aljo to wait and get his shot finally. Yeah. That's what I'm happy for. Um, no, that's it, man. It's been a, a longer than thought of show, but I'm glad you guys stuck around, talked a ton of hip-hop and boxing and MMA on this show. Shout-out to the sponsors. Shout-out to the network, Blue Wire. Make sure you guys follow us on social media at corner podcast underscore me at Kel Dansby him at Andreas Hill it was a fun one you guys stay safe I am Rona free you guys do the same make sure that we're all keeping our health and our loved ones health our top priority until next week though we're out Peace.